0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I am your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a solo episode for you. This episode is listener-generated questions and topics that got sent in to me through Instagram. The four questions and topics I'm going to hit on for this episode include Advice on running a flat ultra marathon. The question specifically was asking about a flat 50 miler and even more specifically the JFK 50 miler. Uh, Advice on running the first 50 kilometer, how to get into ultra marathons, and a beginner running a 50 kilometer after eight weeks of prep and then doubling down and doing a 50 miler eight weeks after that. And their question essentially is, is this a good idea or a bad idea? So those are the four topics we're going to jump into for today. Before we get rolling with that, though, coming up on the show, I was able to actually sit down with Nick Bear up at his studio just north of Austin and dive a bit into his lifestyle. Nick is interesting to me as he participates and documents such a wide range of physical challenges, including strength and endurance On the running side of things, which I was obviously particularly interested in, he has challenged himself to do things like break a sub-five-minute mile, which he did in, I think, four minutes and 53 seconds, Uh, run a couple of sub-250 marathons over the years, and then also run both the Leadville and Rocky Raccoon 100-mile events. So I wanted to chat to him about those two kind of more specifically. And then the Rocky Raccoon 100-mile actually coached him for that one. So that was kind of fun to catch up with him to hear how his – thoughts of that experience have maybe evolved over the past, essentially, probably, is it nine months since he would have done that? He would have been back in January earlier this year. Uh, and then get into just a bunch of other stuff about him. So that one is up right now on the show Patreon page and will be released publicly shortly. Uh, I also have a few more listener topic question episodes coming up. I got a lot of submissions this last time, so I'm trying to break them into like three or four probably at most five per per episode. So they don't get too lengthy and too wide ranging in topics. Uh, one is currently recorded up on Patreon outside of this one. The topics touched on for the one up on Patreon includes the importance of a well-structured taper specifically for the hundred kilometer race, increasing speed work with long distance running, losing weight while training for an event. And if keto is optimal for this, and is training for an ultra marathon with less water worth it or of no benefit? Uh, both of those episodes, the Nick Bear and the solo episode on the topics submitted can be found on the show Patreon page, which offers ad-free and early release audio versions of the show. So if you want to get right into the topics, support the show and check out episodes as soon as they are recorded, joining the HPO Patreon page is the spot to do that. You can access the show Patreon page by heading over to ZachBitter.com forward slash HPO. From there, you can also contribute directly or check out any of the other episodes that are recorded and listed there, as well as the details that I have on every landing page for each episode. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, one of the best things you can do to help me grow things is like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform, So if you have a platform that you typically listen to, if you subscribe to it, it'll auto load up there every time I release one, help me grow the show. If you're looking for extra support with your training, I also do have some pre-made coaching plans, one-on-one coaching consultation options, as well as email collaboration options for anyone interested in working with me or with my philosophy towards running I like to coach anything from short endurance events, like five kilometers all the way up to hundred milers and beyond. So feel free to reach out if you have any interest or need in that sort of thing. Also uh, that can be found directly on my website, which is exact Also on that website, you can join my newsletter. If you want to get semi infrequent updates about some things that I'm interested in and uh, that sort of stuff, the newsletter is a great thing to check out for that. Uh, Finally, Last way to support the show is if one of the show sponsors happens to have a product that you are curious about checking out, you can access all of the HPO podcast show sponsors by heading to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. All the links for this stuff I just mentioned and talked about in this intro will be in the show notes as well. So if you need to check out the links directly, you can head into the show notes for the, for that information. Today's episode sponsors include my friends at ultimate direction and their great hydration hydration products as well as lmnt and their electrolyte supplements ultimate direction creates top quality hydration products and apparel their hydration products range from bottles handhelds waist packs and belts vests and full packs and backpacks all are designed to fit comfortably and securely so you can head out on your run workout, hike, or adventure with all the proper equipment to keep you prepared and hydrated. Some of my favorites that I often use while training and racing include their Raced Vest 6.0, Utility Belt Plus, and their Clutch Handheld Water Bottle. I like the handhelds for shorter outings or outings I can easily refill, belts for humid weather runs where I may need a bit more supplies, and their vests for longer outings in drier weather climates. If you need to gear up for your outdoor adventure, run, or simply need a handheld water bottle or backpack for your gym workout of choice, you can do so and support the Human Performance Outliers podcast at the same time by clicking through the links in the show notes or at zackbettercom forward slash HPO sponsors. Element makes an electrolyte supplement with no sugar. Each packet is loaded with 1000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. They come in convenient, single-serve packets that make them great for bringing along for a run, hike, going to the gym, or while traveling. My go-tos are the citrus flavor and the newly restocked watermelon flavor for my long runs and post-run rehydration as well as their chocolate flavor, which I love to add in my morning coffee with a little bit of creamer. Tastes great, and it's a fun way to start the day for me. If you are hesitant or would like to try out Element first, before you purchase, they are offering a flavor sample pack with one of each of their flavors for free to anyone who uses the HPO URL. If you want to check them out and support HPO along the way, you can head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. Links can be found in the show notes as well as at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Let's get into these questions. I actually got a ton of them from Instagram this time. And I started to compile them and kind of try to group them into topics that were similar in nature so that each episode can be a little more theme-based versus all over the place. But I did get quite a few, so I'll probably have a few different episodes uh, kind of going. I'm just going to do them in order of what they came in. So this episode's topics include what are some strategies and advice from you and Nicole on how to run JFK 50 or any similar runnable 50-mile race? For a front mid and back of the pack. All right. Also we have, how does someone get into ultra running beginner plans, shoes, etc. beginners transitioning from 50 K up to 50 miles in eight weeks after eight months of training for 50 K. Is this a bad idea? And then any advice on running my first 50 kilometer? So those will be the questions we go through for this one. Uh, let's get started. First one, what are some strategies and advice from you and Nicole on how to run JFK 50 or a similar runnable 50 mile race for the front, mid, back of the pack? All right, so I think when you're thinking about race courses in general, first is kind of looking at like, what is kind of the characteristics of that course? JFK specifically kind of has some dueling skill sets with the first 13 or so miles, you're going over the Appalachian Trail, Uh, so up and then back down, and then you hit the CNO, uh, canal path for about a marathon, which is about as flat and fast as you're going to find in most non-track ultra marathons. And then you hit the last eight miles with some, some rolling Hills on pavement. So, still quite fast, but maybe not quite as fast as the canal path, uh, You can find flatter, more runnable 50 milers, but I would could definitely consider JFK a runnable course or one that's going to have a lot of flat running included in it and something you're definitely going to want to consider in your training and structure things around to some degree. So the first thing I like to think about is just where are your goals in terms of finishing time? So one interesting thing, especially when we get into ultra marathon distances is you're going to have some variance depending on whether you're in the front of the pack, the middle of the pack and the back of the pack. And the reason for that is if we take a fixed distance, a race like JFK 50 or flat runnable 50K, we may have like the first person and the last person finishing over two times longer for for that last person. So if you have a scenario like that, you're just going to have different intensities being used for that same distance. So they're almost training for a different event at that point. So it does become important to start thinking of it as like, where's my finishing time likely going to be versus what is the distance in terms of how we kind of want to structure different things with your training and prepare for it. So with these flat runnable courses, one of the first things I'll usually address when I'm working with people is what is kind of the goal pace we can reasonably expect for you to try to target? And usually we'll come up with a range from like, here's an aggressive target to a kind of moderate target to a conservative target. And then, uh, you know, play around with that through training and kind of figure out where those will end up being and what is the best path forward based on the person's goals. But when we're looking at folks who are going to be out there long enough where the reality is running the entire thing is likely not the best way forward in terms of producing their fastest time possible, you wanna strategize this with some walk breaks. And the reason this is a little more difficult on these flat courses is because it's not nearly as intuitive. You get out on the mountains and the trails, oftentimes it's very clear what areas you should walk or hike versus try to run. And these walking breaks almost get built into the course themselves to some degree. So when you don't have that, you're left with a situation where any one segment of the course itself, you could run, but which ones do and do you not? And how do you space that up? So I like a strategy of kind of ratios with this where we look at what is kind of a comfortable, easy pace for the person to run if they were just to go out for kind of like an easy, moderate distance run. And then we look at how far, how much faster is that from their goal pace and start looking at how do we get a scenario where you can be running at that pace that is kind of natural to you or that you're able to practice in your training? Uh, How do we pair that up with enough walking to bring your average pace to what your goal is? The reason we do this is oftentimes when you get some of these times, you end up in this gray area where the pace you want to average is too fast for a walk but too slow to be um is or is too slow to feel comfortable based on your kind of easy running that you're doing in your training plan and a lot of people don't necessarily want to train at that specific pace for a variety of reasons sometimes it's just kind of an awkward pace to target because it is sort of between a brisk walk and a slow run uh so we want the training to be enjoyable and to feel like uh, it's 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 meaningful and have some purpose to it. So if you find yourself in that, you can do that by kind of doing that walk-run ratio. And I like to build that kind of a firm structure in that, kind of, in the, especially in the beginning. You can always play around with it and change it. Uh, but having that kind of set up as a, a routine you're going to follow on race day is going to be a really good, way to make sure you don't get out a little too fast by taking advantage of those early miles when your legs are fresh but getting yourself dug into a deep enough hole where you're going to pay for that at the end and find yourself, you know, walking spots you could technically run in most cases if you had paced yourself a little bit better. Uh so that just takes a little bit of math based on your personal pacing goal uh and the pace at which you feel comfortable running normally or you want to do your running at. Uh what I like to do at that point then is also give yourself a few different options within that ratio. So let's say you're thinking of like a four to one strategy where for every four minutes of running, you're going to do one minute of walking. You can build that out. So you have longer running stretches and longer walking stretches or shorter running stretches and shorter walking stretches based on kind of how you're feeling in the moment. One thing I typically try to focus on with longer races like ultra marathons is there are going to be points in the race where you feel better than average. And there are going to be points where you feel worse than average And when you're feeling worse than average, having smaller goals tends to be better. When you're feeling great, you can maybe take on a little bit of a bigger goal. So let's say you're feeling great two thirds of the way through the race and you want to do a little bit more longer stretches of running. So you're not breaking up that rhythm. You could stretch that out to eight minutes of running and two minutes of walking. Or on the other hand, if you're having a real rough patch, you want to reduce that You could bring that down to two minutes of running, 30 seconds of walking. You maintain that ratio that you calculated to kind of get that average goal pace determined, but you have those options to lengthen or shorten the goals based on kind of your, uh, your focus and your mental state at the time and kind of how you're feeling out there. Other things to consider is the specificity in training here. So long story short, don't neglect the flat running, uh, I don't, you don't have to like bail out on trails altogether or never even look at a hill, but really you do want to look at the race course environment and try to replicate that with a good chunk of your training, especially the stuff that is most specific to race day intensity. So this might mean like doing a lot of your long runs or back-to-back long runs, however you're kind of structuring that style of workout, which tends to be the most specific to race day intensity around uh, flat runnable surfaces that you'll be seeing on race day. Uh, the, it's a little easier for this from a programming standpoint. In most cases, usually when people run into problems from a race specificity standpoint, it's because they live somewhere flat and they don't have access to like long climbs in the sense that they might see out on like, uh, an East coast or West coast or a Colorado trail where you could find yourself going uphill for two, three miles or downhill for two, three miles at a time. Uh, and it's harder to replicate that. Uh, same with like skill sets like technical downhill running. It's, it's a lot harder for people to find technical downhills to prepare and, and sharpen that skill set uh, when you're living in certain areas that don't have access to that. With the flat stuff, most people have access to at least some flat terrain that they can kind of train on and really help develop those mechanics and the impacts and everything that goes into just what you're gonna want to prepare your body for specifically uh, for what you'll be doing on on race day. Uh, Another thing to consider too is when you're building out things like your long run and stuff like that, it's not always quite as clean as a one-to-one split from a time standpoint as you would maybe find on some of these steeper type of courses that you may be preparing for. And what I mean by that is if you're going to do a course that has a lot of climbing and descending, chances are you're spending a fair bit of time hiking and doing lower impact stuff on those inclines. So By nature of the reduction in impact, you can sometimes lengthen the volume your body can tolerate and recover from. When you're running on hard, flat surfaces, you're sort of targeting certain areas a little more acutely. And uh, also you're in a position where you can uh, have a higher amount of impact consistently through that session. So if you are going to do a one-to-one volume swap from a trail race or a steeper terrain race to a flat runnable one, I do suggest if you're going to do that and you have a walking break strategy in your race day, making sure that you are uh, planning that in some of your long runs too. So you're playing around with being able to kind of replicate the race day strategy in those training sessions, as well as reduce the impact. So you're not kind of overreaching. If you're not going to do that, I usually find that I can get away with a little bit less time volume for the short. Uh, shorter distances. And some of that is also based on the fact that if we took a 50 mile race and had you going up steep climbs and descents, technical terrain versus a flat runnable course, uh, a well executed race plan for both of those is going to have you at the finish line a fair bit quicker on that flat runnable course. So by the nature of the less time out there, you, you likely don't need quite as much volume and kind of that long run development either. Uh, that sort of covers some a lot of the stuff in terms of kind of some of the preparation the other thing i'll usually encourage people because especially with this question we talk about front mid and back of the pack i alluded to it a bit where like the intensity on race day is going to be different for those different populations so if you take like say the average winning time at jfk you know you're well under six hours so for that individual you know, they may be pushing up towards their lactate threshold for portions of that race and certainly be pushing into like moderate intensity uh, points during that race itself versus somebody who's finishing kind of in the back of the pack. They might be out there long enough where they're never crossing their aerobic threshold. and They're just in an easy intensity the entire time because they need to be in order to be able to complete at the timeframe that they're aiming for so using that as a guide in training is also going to be important for this in terms of knowing like where to place your workouts and how to prioritize certain workouts over the others and maybe how long to keep speed work in your training plan versus kind of moving away from it or to what degree you'd maybe move away from it near the end of a training plan when you're starting to work on the specifics you'll be actually using out there on that course all right next question any advice on running my first 50 kilometer Okay. I love this question. Uh, it is uh, a good one for like intro to ultra running because 50 kilometers is oftentimes going to be considered kind of that entry distance into ultra marathon running. I like to look at this through like a lens of, well, what do we need as endurance athletes, regardless of whether you're training for a shorter endurance event or a longer one, like 50 kilometers, or even further yet getting into like hundred mile distances. And one thing I think that kind of carries true through all that is you want to begin with a very strong aerobic foundation. So basically spending a period of time in your training, in the beginning of your training, where you're doing almost all your runs at what we consider in the easy category which we can define as like most things under like 80% of your max heart rate. Uh, Some people will look at that as like a zone one or zone two. Uh, A talk test is another way to gauge this, where if you're running and you can carry a conversation uh, without losing your breath or gasping for breath after a sentence or two, then you're likely, you know, fine in terms of like your intensity and really focus on building volume and being consistent in, uh, stacking kind of workout after workout, week after week of hitting that intensity and making sure that you have that strong aerobic foundation before you start adding some of the structure that will be specific to the 50 kilometer distance. Um, you can do this essentially as long as you need to, or want to, but there are some things to pay attention to or watch in terms of deciding, am I ready or is it worthwhile to spend more time? Uh, one is just like the timeline you have, like if you pick a race, you're, you know, the clock has started and therefore you have a finite number of weeks to prepare and you want to make sure you are like just using them as best you can. If you look at it through like an infinite timeline, uh, you can sort of find a scenario where you should be able to see your pace improving at that intensity of th- those descriptors I just gave before. So if you're continuing to see your pace improve in a similar environment, at that same intensity, that's a sign that your body is still acquiring adaptations that are making you more efficient. You are producing a faster pace at the same effort as you were before. And I really do like to see that continue as long as you can before it starts to plateau or you run out of available volume to kind of keep keep teasing that, that intensity or that system. Once you're there, that means you've kind of got that foundation in place where now it's time to place the specific stuff that you'll be doing, uh, to prepare for that 50 K. And really, I think from a workout standpoint, the workouts remain similar to what you would do for any endurance event. It just becomes more of an order of operations thing here. So I like to focus on kind of what are the priority intensities and you can get creative and do things different with this and add more flavor to it or, or blend some hybrid workouts and things like that, if you really want to. Uh, but really I like to kind of keep it simple at first and focus on some of the key intensities. And then if we want to add more after that, we can, and those include short intervals, which I would put between 30 seconds and four minutes and target those at an intensity that you could sustain on race day for about 12 to 15 minutes. So if you were just to run 12 to 15 minutes, about as hard as you could on a race day setting, what kind of intensity does that produce? that's what you want to tie your short intervals to. Your short intervals, you want to have that like a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio. So for every minute of uh, hard running you do, you give yourself a minute of rest after that, and then you determine how many of those you want to do. Typically, when doing this type of workout, I prefer to try to do it in a way where you have the capability to do a couple more if you needed to at the end, and that's where you stop This, I believe, will produce a higher amount of volume spent at this intensity over the entirety of your plan versus having one heroic session where you do like a ton of these short intervals, but then are unable to do them again for like a week plus afterwards because you're still kind of catching up and leaving future training on the table. Next are long intervals. I'm usually putting long intervals between about eight to 20 minutes, and this is going to be at a two to one work ratio. So for every two minutes of work that you're going to do, you're going to do one, one worth of rest or recovery in between. I tie this to an intensity that you could sustain for roughly 60 minutes in a race day setting. And that's how I'm going to kind of break them down. So you could do like three by eight minutes with four minutes recovery in between three by 10 minutes with five minutes recovery in between three by 12 minutes with six minutes recovery in between. These are all like kind of examples of that two to one rest ratio, all at that intensity that you could sustain for about 60 minutes at a race day training or race day intensity. Then you have like whatever kind of goal race pacing you're going to do. So this is where it can maybe determine kind of like what we was talking about with those runnable 50 milers, where is your goal finishing time? So like we get someone who's running a very fast, flat 50 K, you know, you, you see, you see people going under three hours for this versus like, you know, someone who's new to it, new to running, doesn't have the experience, you know, they could easily be Uh, you know, six, seven plus hours on a course that is even relatively runnable. So pinning another workout to potentially your race day intensity is another thing to consider and considering whether that intensity falls within speed work. So I quantify speed work essentially as anything at moderate or high intensity. So getting above that 80% max heart rate, you know, getting up into like zone threes and beyond or intensities where it becomes difficult or unsustainable to be able to carry a conversation while you're running, you're entering what I would consider like at least the, the the low levels of speed work. And then it just goes faster from there. So if your race pace intensity falls within that, then considering doing some workouts that are targeting that is, is going to be wise. And a lot of times since 50 kilometers is a long distance, uh, regardless of whether you're an ultra marathon runner or not, I do find that that long run is a great spot to kind of put some of those race day intensity training sessions in. You can kind of double dip with your long run development and working on race day intensity with that specific workout. Uh, From there, the planning becomes weaknesses and least specific things to most specific things. So if you're running, if you're 50, if you're looking at your 50 K pace and you notice I have the strong aerobic foundation. What's first the short intervals, because that's going to be least specific to the intensity that you can do on race day. Then you might move up to long intervals, but getting a little bit closer, but still not exactly race intensity. And then finally working on race day intensity type workouts in development when you're closest to the race itself, so that you are targeting race specific stuff closer to the race itself. Uh, Also, I like to share with new runners too, is go in there with some tiered goals. So decide about, what I like to do with this is kind of decide like what would be like maybe an aggressive target time for you based on your your past running or what you learned during your training, what would be a moderate goal and what would be a conservative goal. And this isn't something you have to decide at the beginning. In fact, the more training you do, the closer you get to the race day, the better you're going to be able to predict what an aggressive, a moderate, and a conservative racing pace strategy is going to be. So being able to have that information available means that you can wait to do this. But if you have some experience in other races, like you've done some marathons and things like that, you might already have that number somewhat whittled down because we're not talking about a very big jump moving from 26.2 to 31.25 or 42K to 50K if you want to look at it that way. So once you have those tier goals, though, you kind of leave yourself reason to be out there. So let's say you decide, I know what my aggressive, moderate and sort of goals are. I'm targeting the aggressive one. You get part way out there. You realize that aggressive goal is probably not going to play out the way you had hoped that day. You still have a couple more options to kind of default to before you find yourself out there with no reason. Uh, a lot of times for first time people, when they're doing a distance for the first time, I, I love seeing a goal where it's like, one of my goals is just to finish. Because that's going to keep that incentive for you to be out there, even if things start unraveling a bit, because now you at least have the experience, even if it's not what you had hoped for, to kind of build off of for a future one and learn from some of the mistakes that maybe led to that and be able to uh, still have that completion and a better uh, framework to kind of build off of for the next time. Uh, All right. One more point with that is plan goal race pace on long-run development. Uh, again, I think this is like one thing you can just really tease out some of the specifics about aggressive, moderate, and conservative with that. So like I mentioned before, embedding some race pace intensities, uh, into your long run development is going to be the closest way to kind of bridge that gap between what your training's telling you and what you can actually do on the day when you're going to ask yourself to run 50 kilometers Mm -hmm. consecutively. All right. Next question. How does someone get into ultra running, like beginner plans, shoes, et cetera? This is a great question. So one thing I re- have realized, especially in the last few years, is there is a large group of people that large group of like diverse types of people that are coming into ultra running from different backgrounds. I mean, you obviously have people who've been runners their whole life. But then you have people who are coming in from strength sports who historically maybe never thought they'd ever run an endurance event, or we see people coming in from like backwoods hunting communities and things like that. So you have a lot of interesting like whys or reasons to be there. And that's usually where I say should be your kind of first point is pick something that is going to be interesting to you and really ask yourself why you're doing it. Because when you get into the training and then ultimately the race itself, having a strong reason to be doing it is going to, is going to be what keeps you motivated and consistently doing the work and training and then keeping you motivated and focused to actually reach that goal if it's a legitimate, purposeful why. Uh, then picking the event too, because picking the event allows you to build out the proper training for it so this is kind of a theme we've been talking about here from different types of courses like if you decide like the event you're going to do is got is a course that's out in the mountains it's going to help you decide how to best prepare for that if you pick the distance it's going to help you determine you know things like the intensity on race day and how you're going to structure your training leading into that based on that kind of least specific to most specific principle that i mentioned before uh So having those things kind of determined first are usually really good starting points. And the next thing I usually ask people is like, if you do have an event in mind or you're struggling to pick an event, ask yourself, what do I want to be doing in training? What's the most motivating part of the training process for me? Because you can pick events that are more likely to be uh, complementary to that. So one thing I'll often do is I tend to focus on more runnable ultramarathons historically, but I'll get to a point usually where I've done a few of them in a row and I start to lose that kind of sharp motivation and excitement that comes from like doing a training plan for the first time or doing a training plan, a different training plan for uh, the first time in a while. And I can kind of hit the reset button a little bit on my motivation if I kind of switch things up altogether and do a race, that's got like maybe a trail focus climbing and descending, or maybe just a different distance altogether, you know, a way that's going to kind of re-energize my, my desire to do the workouts required, uh, to get there. Because when you think about it, even with these long races, a lot of times we build up the actual event itself because it is long. Sometimes it's longer or oftentimes it's longer than we've ever gone before. And that is a big thing to get your head wrapped around, but in the reality, you're going to spend way more time training, way more energy training and having a setup there that is meaningful and purposeful for you is going to be a much better setup than hating that entire process just to get to like an event that, you know, your friend said was cool or something like that. Uh, so again, I will emphasis least specific to most specific in your preparation phase, starting with a strong aerobic base is, is a great way for like a beginner to kind of target kind of how they want to structure that training once they determine the things like their why in the event. Uh, the next thing is start where you are at. If you're completely new to running, it is okay to start out really slow and really easy. Uh, the worst thing you can do is overreach where you're currently at by a large enough margin that you find yourself struggling to recover from one workout to the next that leads to things like injury loss of motivation uh leaving future training out because you overdid a single session things that i've kind of been talking about through these other questions consider that so if you're new starting from the beginning and gradually increasing volume And, uh, same thing with speed work. If you've never done speed work before easing into that is a great idea. If you've done speed work before, and you kind of know where your thresholds are there in terms of what you can tolerate from a volume standpoint, great. You've got some precedent there, but, uh, making sure you kind of take a thorough inventory of kind of where you're at and where you want to be and make sure you're doing what I like to call micro stressing, where you're adding a little bit of extra stimulus over the course of your plan, but not so much that future workouts are getting taken off the table. Injury risk is increasing and you're more likely to give up because it's just unsustainable to continue on the path you're going. Next thing uh, you mentioned shoes, Uh, same idea with any kind of running is kind of picking a shoe that is going to be most conducive for your needs. So personally, I really actually like a variety of different types of shoes for a couple reasons. One is if you're rotating your shoes, you're more likely to get longer life out of them anyway uh, second is different shoes of different purposes. You know, some are designed for like trails. Others are designed for roads. Some are designed more firm or responsive. Others are designed more soft. Uh, so you need to ask yourself kind of like, what is it that you need and kind of how you're going to use those generally speaking, if you're dealing with anything with lower legs, like your lower legs are weak, sore, tight, tired, uh, fatigued, you know, some cushion is going to alleviate that. So you want to strengthen that over time, which probably means introducing some more firm platform shoes at times to strengthen those lower legs. But you also want to be mindful of some of the training sessions you might do when that area is been worked from a previous workout and you want to keep it from you know, taking on too much of the training impact or the training load. Same thing with the race day too. If you notice you have a weakness, like in the lower legs, you get a more padded shoe Uh, you may not have to wear for the entire race, but for at least part of the race will maybe help keep that spot a little less uh, exposed on race day. Firm shoes, I usually like to prefer if it's something where you maybe are dealing with issues kind of further up in the leg, like knees and hips. Uh, Reason being is when you have a firmer shoe, your feet are sensitive. So when you touch the ground, they realize that and respond. So if it's a soft setting, they're a little more relaxed, meaning it can be less engaging to those lower leg muscles and maybe a a larger area of where they're going to eventually kind of brace for the impact. When you have a four firm shoe, it's going to find that more precise spot and it's going to create an environment where your feet and your lower leg muscles tense and up in order to brace that impact and take that load. So you're essentially putting yourself in a position where your lower legs are going to take on a higher percentage of the impact that you're getting from running. Uh, So this is a, a tool you can use to strengthen those lower leg muscles. It's also something you can do if that is a strength for yours and, you know, help keep some of those impacts from ending up in your knees or hips, because really at the end of the day, those impacts are all going to be there. It just determined, it just depends on where they end up. Uh, For me personally, like I said, I like to have variety because of this very reason. If I go and do say a fast workout and a pair of low profile firm shoes and the next day my feet, ankles, calves are sore but the rest of me feels decent and I'm just going to do an easy recovery run. I might put on a more cushion shoe for that recovery run because I want to kind of help the sorest part of my body get a little bit of extra uh, recovery versus, um, you know, stressing that same area again after getting a good workout the day prior. The next thing to consider too is with these longer races um, ultra running, you know, the variable of fueling and hydration just becomes a little more important because we can't rely on internal stores The way you could for, say, a shorter endurance race where you're going to be finished before you deplete uh, things like your hydration status or your glycogen stores and things like that. So, uh, this is something to consider and to practice in your training, both fueling and hydrating the way you plan to on race day. From picking a starting point, uh, you can look at some of the recommendations. The current recommendations would suggest that someone on a moderate carbohydrate diet will want to target between 50 to 70 grams per hour on a single-day ultra marathon, If you're someone who is on a more of a low-carbohydrate diet like myself, you can likely aim for the lower end or slightly under this. Uh, I've had conversations with guys like Matt Carpenter, who does research on low-carbohydrate endurance athletes, and the folks coming through his lab, he suggested we're targeting somewhere between 30 to 45 grams per hour, which fits pretty cleanly into what I've done in the past, as well as a lot of the low-carb clients I've worked with. Uh, in terms of where you maybe want to kind of structure your fueling strategy on race day, hydration is going to be another one that is something you're going to want to consider to think about. Or uh, one thing to think about is that there is really no way you're going to remain perfectly hydrated throughout the course of the race itself. Your body just cannot keep up on processing the fluids at the rate in which you're going to lose them. So some level of dehydration is inevitable in trying to to override that is going to likely cause more problems than solutions. So rather than try to replace drop for drop electrolyte for electrolyte, you kind of want to, you know, do what you can within the, your, your capacity, but not get overly zealous with this and try to you know create more or end up creating more problems. The rec- recommendations here would be about five to 700 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of water you consume. And on a moderate condition course from an, from a weather standpoint, you're likely gonna fall in about 15 to 25 ounces of fluid per hour. If you look at just like max capacity for what you can tolerate, you're probably looking at you know, somewhere between 27 to 33 ounces per hour, or roughly a liter uh, of water per hour is kind of where your body starts to kind of hit the threshold of what it's gonna be able to process in that timeframe. Uh, If you want a deep dive into kind of dialing in your hydration, because there is going to be some individual variants here. I did an episode, episode 300 of the human performance outliers podcast, where I dove into like personalizing your hydration and how, how to kind of do some stuff in training to kind of help you understand what your needs are going to be. Uh, You can go a whole nother level with this. If you want, you can get your sweat tests done and uh, find out how much sodium and electrolytes you're losing for every liter of uh, water that you lose. Uh, I had this done actually not too long ago. Turns out mine was 614 milligrams for every liter of water. So for every liter of water I lose while running, I'm going to lose roughly 614 milligrams of electrolytes with it. So that's something for me to consider for these longer sessions when, you know, I'll be losing like multiple of liters over the course of the day. You know, I have to consider that I'm going to be losing some of those electrolytes with that. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode sponsors include Ultimate Direction and their hydration products bottles, belts, packs, backpacks, vests, and LMNT's electrolyte powder. If you would like to support the show by checking out these products, head over to Zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. All right. Next question. Beginners transition 50K to 50 miles in eight weeks after eight months of training for the 50K. Is this a bad idea? All right. So, The way I'm understanding this question is it's a beginner training for a 50 K really good lead up with eight months. We'll talk about that. And then rather than being done after that 50 K eight weeks later, doubling down for a 50 mile, asking for advice, if this is a good or a bad idea, I don't hate this idea at all. Actually, I think it's actually kind of a fun, exciting one. It just sort of depends on your goals to a degree. So if you're going to do this, the way to think about this is you want to be very fit and very ready for that 50 K you're going to do the majority of your training for that 50 K. And you're going to try to leverage the fitness you acquired from that and carry it over sort of double dip into an extra event eight weeks later with that 50 mile. Uh, I like this setup because you have the faster or the shorter distance race first which is going to make it much easier to follow the principle I've mentioned previously in this podcast, which is working on least specific stuff first and then transitioning towards more specific stuff as you move through the training plan itself. The way I like to look at this is uh, you same thing that we mentioned before when we are talking about preparing for that 50K, uh, get that strong aerobic base, least specific stuff, so life is short intervals, long intervals, and then long-run development kind of in that in that in that order for the most part, if you're a bit of a faster 50 K runner, you know, you're going to maybe want to keep some of that speed work in a little bit longer into the long run development phase of training in order to replicate race day intensity as you get closer to the event itself. But really after that, your goal is to run that 50 K as well as you can. And then the big next piece becomes making sure you recover from that And maximize the time you have left to do things as specific to the 50 miler as possible as you can without compromising recovery. So with eight weeks, we're basically looking at probably about two weeks of recovery and then another two weeks of taper kind of bookending that eight weeks. So you're essentially working with roughly four weeks of what I would consider probably quality training with that time frame. That two weeks of recovery, I like to see about a week where you probably don't run at all. You let everything kind of catch up, mind, body, do some stretching, do some light walking, maybe some light cycling or light swimming just to get some movement going. But nothing that's going to like stress or cause impact related to what you would have been running for that 50K. And then on that second week, you can maybe start running a little bit just to test things out. But I would stay away from anything too structured for that second week. Just really make sure you prioritize getting yourself feeling ready and motivated for that four weeks in the middle. Once you get to that point, you want to prioritize long-run development that is catered towards the intensity that you plan on running for that 50-mile Uh, you could do this with back-to-back long runs or some slightly longer solos. I tend to prefer back-to-back long runs. If you're starting to push, uh, you know, up towards, you know, four plus hours in a single training session, I think the risk reward becomes increasingly unfavorable when you start pushing much past that. And in reality, when we just look at it from a, from a training adaptation standpoint, if you were to say, go out for, uh, an eight hour run versus splitting it into two, four hour runs. Not only is the quality likely going to be higher by splitting it into two, four hour runs, you're also likely going to recover quicker and be able to do more training overall throughout the course of that plan. So uh, structure or focusing on that as your primary uh, purpose for those four weeks is going to lead you into that two week taper. Then go and do that, that, that 50 miler. And, uh, who knows, maybe you'll be able to double dip and use one big buildup and a little bit of extra kind of fine tuning in that four weeks between when you can do some quality training, uh, and get yourself two great race results. Uh, the other thing I kind of like about this setup too, is like, it sort of gives you the opportunity to like take two shots. So if one doesn't go great, then, you know, you have a second chance. Or if the first one goes great, you kind of have a situation where it's like, you know, you don't really have anything to lose and you can maybe get a little creative with that 50 mile and try something different or try something that you've been curious about, but didn't want to necessarily test out if it was like your only peak race for the season or things like that. Um, perfect. I think that's everything for that one. Uh, like I said, in the beginning of the the podcast if uh you have questions you would like me to talk about or topics you'd like me to address or would like me to dive further into some of the ones we've covered feel free to reach out to me at hpopodcast at gmail.com or on social media instagram is at zach bitter twitter at z bitter and facebook at z bitter endurance Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to a hundred miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.